This is Tailgate Till May, your place for year-round college sports talk. I'm your host, Stephen Gorgie, and I'm excited to be back for another episode. Today, we're going to get into some college football talk, talking a bit about coaches entering their third year, typically a big year for coaches. So we're going to talk about some of those guys. We'll get into West Virginia and their new basketball coach opening. And then it's summer, so we got to talk realignment, some realignment news, if you want to call it that, coming out over the past week. Always something going on in the world of realignment. It never sleeps, but it really seems like it never sleeps in June and July. Speaking of not sleeping, that's where I'm at. I'm coming back from a bachelor party in Chicago, went to Wrigley Field. It was awesome. Had a great time. Uh, But we had 16 dudes in a house with three beds. And basically, if I showed you the picture (laughs) of how we all slept, it looked like picture a, a middle school sleepover in your friend's parents basement where everybody is just like side by side that's kind of how it looked i did have my own air mattress so that was a plus but guys i'm gonna start the show with this tonight look i'm 34 turning 35 do you do you think that's the cutoff am i done at this point sleeping on air mattresses next to 15 other dudes yeah, I think you got to hang them up, man. Like, I think that's the end of the road. That My back just hurt hearing 16 dudes across three beds. Like, you know, you get to a certain – I'm sure it was a blast and all of that. But, like, you got to get to a point where – I had this conversation with my wife recently. Like, we're, we're – I think we're past, like, crashing on people's couches for a weekend. You know, like, get get a hotel, right? You got you to, gotta like, make sure you have your own space comfortable sleeping arrangements i'm i'll be honest i'm proud of you man i'm proud that you made it back knowing that there's 16 across three beds that's very impressive i don't think it's ever over i mean yeah you guys are married now and you think that's like yes if you bring your wife along you should probably get a separate room but like i'm just thinking you know when i went to steven's house the other week having blast sleeping on his couch you know getting waken up by his pup in the morning coming down the stairs couldn't have it any other way so i think one over a weekend your back is probably destroyed now that's probably the worst thing is just like your body is probably just completely and utterly trashed but other than that mentally i like the 16 dudes and maybe you know make it two beds see what happens see how many people you can get not in the bed try that next time yeah, my body's ravaged. I had a 6 a.m. flight out of Chicago this morning back to Baltimore. So got a solid one hour of sleep uh, leading up to that. But, Brian, I know I feel like that's kind of your move is to leave early, get out of there first thing in the morning. You still on that? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I, whatever day it is that I'm leaving, I want to be home and, like, feel like I have a day. That is the most important thing to me when I'm traveling to feel like I can recover. I can't stay as like extend, 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 get home. It's dark out. You go right to sleep and I got to be on the next day for work or something like that. Absolutely not. I'm get up and go and you got to make it happen. I feel the exact opposite way. I need as much time to prepare for the journey ahead after just destroying my body and digestive system for days at a time. I need hours to prepare at the hotel room. I need time to get to the um, the airport early. And then all I want to do when I get home is sleep. So if I have a whole day, I'm wasting that anyway. So complete opposite end of the spectrum there for you. But that's the whole problem is you got to get out of a hotel room or an Airbnb or whatever at typically 11 o'clock. 
So it's like that's the rub. Either you can get on this 6 a.m. flight and get home, or you got to hang, hang out in the airport for four extra hours or whatever because the flight I was going to get on was, I think, a 2 or 2.30 flight. Once it got home till 5, I don't know. That just that seemed like the far you worse can't. option. You can't do it. You got to get up. I mean, Ben, hear me out, right? Like you get home, you have a full day, like lay in bed, watch like – Grown ups, grown ups two, grown ups three. If grown ups three exists, you order Thai food, well. you eat it in bed. You're like, you're like kind of gross, but you're in your own home, and there's something like really comforting and relaxing about that. I stand by it. I guess so, but like a six a.m. flight this morning sounds a disaster. As you guys know, I need a safety net of time in the morning with my digestive system, and waking up at four and then trying to go on like a four hour flight after that, like I need I need multiple rounds going toe to toe with the porcelain. So I just it sounds like a tough, tough morning for me. By the way, guys, I gotta get this out there. This should be absolutely illegal. I got picked up by my Uber driver at four this morning, and this man could not have been more Blasting excited. Music. No, 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 no. To try to have a full conversation with me at four Oof. in the morning. It, that should be illegal. Yeah. Where are you coming yeah, from? Where are you works. going? The reason you I don't don't... traveling for work, traveling for pleasure. Oh, you come here often. I mean, guy, it's four in the morning. Do you yeah. see my hair? Do you see how I look? Yeah. Do you see the way I just walked convers- out here? <laughs> what if this yeah, conversation is the only thing keeping him time. awake? Like, you know, when you're super tired, what are you going to do? Would you rather he crashed the car or you rather he had a nice little chat with you? Dude, that's the worst. That's the absolute worst. I, I, we went to Nashville once for like, we we had like the day, and we were leaving bright and early, and we just got hammered on Broadway all day, and got picked up like four a.m. for the for the flight. And this man was like, whatever the worst like, we're twenty one again at a club in Vegas. Music that you can think of was like full volume at four in the morning, going to the airport like. A little bit still drunk, but like trying to be still asleep. The worst experience in the whole world. I feel for you, man. There's nothing worse than when an Uber driver doesn't pick up the vibe that you're going for. Just atrocious. And then the worst part of it is I'm such a sucker that I still gave him five stars and a and a nice tip because I could never bring myself to Every not time. give him five stars and a nice tip just for Every for time. taking me to the airport. But yeah, I felt like I was 21 most of the weekend. Getting back here, I feel like I, I'm slowly getting back into my 30s with this recovery day. Uh, but I, 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 I think that is going to be the last time, at least until maybe Ben's bachelor party, that I am that I am sleeping on an air mattress in a huge room, projector screen blasting above me at three in the morning, uh, and trying to trying to get some sleep when I know I got a flight in an hour. I think that's gonna be the last one for me. I'm gonna hang up my bachelor party my bachelor party shoes for a while. But that is quite an intro to our show. As I mentioned, I'm Steven. That's Brian Kaufman. That's Ben Crowley. No, we're not just going to talk about bachelor parties and getting old. We're going to talk about some college football. And we got a fun topic to talk about today. 
we're going to be talking about coaches entering their third year at a school. So these were the coaches hired after the COVID season. So their first uh, season at the school was the 2021 college football season. They're in- entering their third. And-, and there's a bunch of coaches on this list. You know, we when coaches get hired, we're always so quick to immediate react. Let's give the immediate reaction. Let's grade them A through F. Who's good? Who's bad? Let's react right now. But rarely do we ever look back once they actually have a few years under their belt and say, hey, was this a good hire? Was this not? And that's what I want to kind of do here tonight. One coach who certainly was not a good hire is the only coach on this list who was already gone. That's Brian Harson. Auburn hired him, the former Boise head coach. He was there for not even two full years before he was fired. The only coach on this list who is no longer employed by the school that hired him. The clear loser of this whole class. So we don't even need to go there as far as the worst hire is concerned because he was the worst hire. Uh, but I, let's start on the positive side. I want to talk about, of the coaches on this list, who was the best hire so far? Brian, who do you got? Yeah, Harson lasted longer than uh, they wanted him to, too. So he's a, a huge loser. Um, yeah, for me, uh, I think it's got to be Lance Lightbolt at Kansas, right? Like, if you think about, he's essentially already accomplished, and I think he's the only person on the list that you could say this for, like the the dream scenario, right? Like a, like to a certain extent, right? They they were all over ESPN. We talked on this podcast last season about should we bet them to win the Big Twelve? This is Kansas football, and and so did they host game day too? I think they got game day. Like it was they a, sure it was did. A, yeah. So I I mean to me, someone being able to do that with Kansas football immediately makes them. In the top of the list. Now, there are coaches on this list that like want to and should eventually be competitive for national championships. And if they get there, uh, and, and you know, I think some of them are going to have more time than others to try to get there, and we'll get to that, uh, you know, I could change it. Right now, at time of recording, he has gotten Kansas to where maybe even the Kansas administration didn't think he would get them when he was hired. So to me, at this point, I would choose him. And let me set this up uh, real quick because, uh, Brian, I think you had some really good thoughts there. I just want to give some context on who the coaches that we're even talking about are. Uh, Leipold, certainly one of the big names on this list. But we also have Shane Beamer at South Carolina, Steve Sarkeesian at Texas, Jed Fish at Arizona, Gus Malzahn at UCF, Andy Avalos at Boise State. Uh, Jake Dickert at Washington State. That one's a little bit of a weird situation because he took over from Nick Rolovich in the 2021 season. Josh Heupel at Tennessee and Brett Bielema at Illinois. I think those are really the big names on this list. Maybe throw in Clark Lee at Vandy as well. So that's kind of the list that Brian is choosing from there. Brian, uh, that was what I had written down as well, Lance Leopold, for for all the reasons you you mentioned. Ben, I'm sure you are going to be disagreeing here. What do you got? No, I try to go against the grain of my normal cherry picking. This is the obvious answer that everyone would pick. And I was thinking, and my argument was building around Lance just from the pure fact that, like, there's been even some decent predecessors like Les Miles at Kansas, who, you know, obviously he had some other stuff going on, but, you know, pretty solid coach. So I am going to go with this is a tough one for me because I was between Brian's favorite team and the Sark Man. And, uh, Hypo? Hypo? How do you say Josh's? Hypo. Um, 
as much as I can't stand to look at his face every time I Google search him to look up what he's done, I mean, it's wild what he's done. Um, I can't even remember the last time Tennessee has really been relevant since Peyton Manning. So for him to go in and aside from a Herndon Hooker injury last year, you know, maybe win the SEC. Obviously, you had that Georgia in the way and all that stuff. Um, but and then they've got Milton coming back next year. I mean, I think that they are jumping for joy, singing Rocky Top, the fact that they hired this man, especially I mean, what he did at UCF, too, was pretty wild. So to come catch him on the high, like that's what that's the dream. Catch that low coach on the upswing and ride him to glory. So that's my pick. Um, Steven, you got anything different or are we just stealing all your top picks? No, I think that's a good pick, Ben. Josh Heupel, what he has done at Tennessee in a short time is unbelievable. Hendon Hooker last year could have won the Heisman Trophy. Uh, he he would have been, had he stayed healthy, I think he would have been my vote for Heisman Trophy. Not that I have a vote, but I think he, he was that good. The thing that's tough with Heupel is their offenses, it's been described as a cheat code, but the offense has also been described as as a gimmick offense. And the question is, how long can it be successful as it was last season? And is it something that's truly sustainable when the team that you have to get by in that division is Georgia, that there's no gimmicks when it comes to Georgia. Georgia is built the way that football teams have been built for since the advent of the sport. So I think that's my big question with Heupel there. It also, I also want to find out with Heupel is, can you just put any quarterback in that system and do they thrive? And we're going to find out a little bit with Joe Milton this year because we all know about the physical attributes that Joe Milton has. He has that huge arm, but we're going to see if he can replicate what Hendon Hooker did. So, I mean, I think he's been nothing but a good hire. They're going to have to improve the defense a little bit there. But I think those are the two best picks. I I just tend to go with Brian on Leopold because I feel like he has, to Brian's point, taken Kansas to essentially their mountaintop already. For Kansas football, making bowl games is is a mountaintop accomplishment. I know they've had some they had some success under Mark Mangino, but I don't think you're going to see that again. Uh, so th- that's why I go with Leopold, with Leopold. But I think they're both those are both outstanding choices. I think uh, just to give Ben an extra point, I, I don't think that you know in history won't care about the point I'm about to make. But they they hired uh, Josh Heupel really late in that cycle, which is like. It, it, for it to work out as well as it has after two years, they hired him at the end of January. Like by that point, most positions are filled. Um, and obviously they had hired UCF's AD right before that. So that certainly helped. Um, but I think that they, they are, yeah, I think that's the other option. I agree. And I, I think Tennessee administration is extremely pleased with how it's gone, particularly given that they were kind of squeezed against the timeline. Now, and a third, oh, go ahead, Ben. I was going to say, do you run thing against their whole, you know, gimmicky offense i know clemson still had what a ton of people sit out but they kind of put up some points against clemson and spanked them a little bit you know i mean what they had some of their d-line out for the draft i believe but still i mean to put milton in there and score 31 it's pretty good you know there's it's not little league baseball down in the uh, sec and then you throw in clemson and they were arguably one of the other top five defenses in the country so I'm excited to see Milton Squirrel White, who's also my favorite player now in college football because his name is Squirrel. 
It's a pretty good name. It's a great name. What's the best NIL opportunity he can get? What's a what's a squirrel? A nut company, maybe? It's probably some sort of nut company. Yeah. Nut well, I mean cute. Maybe a, a zoo. Maybe like the Knoxville zoo. zoo of some sort. <laughs> Not, I guess Knoxville, yeah. I was thinking Nashville, but I knew that was incorrect. It is not it is Knoxville. Joe Milton, Squirrel White. We'll see what they have to offer in the year ahead. Either way, Vols fans have to be ecstatic after years of just wandering in the desert here. Guys, there is one other coach and program that I did consider for this list uh, as far as the the best hire, but I actually think he is better suited for the coach that I'm most interested in watching in 2023, and that's Brett Bielema at Illinois. He, much like uh, Lance Leopold has Lance Leipold has done a fan, did a fantastic job taking a program that doesn't historically have a lot of success and making them very competitive very quickly. Illinois was right there in the mix for the Big Ten West last year. And beyond that, I know it's easy to make jokes about the Big Ten West, but they were right there with Michigan when they played Michigan in November. Talk about one of the best defenses in the country last year. That was a defense that was fantastic throughout the season, but then also went out and had a bunch of guys drafted, which is part of why I'm really interested to to see what Illinois has to offer in 2023. They lose a lot on that defense. I want to see how they replace it. And then they also lose defensive coordinator Ryan Walters to Purdue. He's now their head coach, one of the hottest up and coming coaches and coordinators in the country. He moves on. Brett Bielema has done a really good job of, of establishing that program early, making them competitive, uh, taking them to heights they haven't seen in some time. But when you lose coaches, you lose players. You know, that's the sign of me to how much do you really have this thing going? If they can continue to roll and put out another top 25 defense this season and win seven, eight games. I think it's a really good sign for the future of the Illini. But if they're dropping back to, you know, two, three, four wins, not making a bowl game, then you got to start to wonder a little bit is, is Illinois just a program that's going to have these peaks and valleys where you just can't sustain it uh, consistently. So that's why Bielema is the coach that I am most interested in in watching in 2023 on this list. How about you, Ben? I thought about it long and hard about bringing him to the conversation just because of that Michigan Illinois game and how they kind of got screwed over a little bit. Um, not completely, but wasn't good as someone who was rooting against Michigan. Um, it's crazy what he did out of nowhere. I mean, even what the year before they had that ridiculous overtime game against Penn state in happy Valley. So it's been a fun ride from Illinois. And who was it before Levy Smith? Was that who Illinois had? So, I mean, once again, there's been some pedigree of the coaching variety at Illinois before. So another school I never thought we'd be talking about is Illinois on this podcast. But, you know, here we are. Kudos to uh, Brett Bielema. Whatever you say. Bielema. Bielema. I always want to say blimey. Kudos to Brett Bielema. <laughs> it's great. I loved a, little, it. a little too many E's in his name. Yeah. It's not like the guy's been a, a head football coach at the highest levels for the past, like, 30 years. Yeah, well, you know, maybe <laughs> have an username. Just go by Brett B or something like that. You nailed it. Um, all right. So, for me, it, it's one that I, I've been very much on the record that this guy kind of grinds my gears a little bit. Um, 
So maybe you guys know where I'm going now, but I, uh, I think it's interesting what Shane Beamer has been doing. And, and I, and I am interested to, to see, I mean, where they go this year, right? Seven and six first year, eight and five last year. They did lose the Gator Bowl to Notre Dame, but they were coming off big wins over Tennessee and Clemson to end the regular season. They really, it, it did seem like they got a clicking towards the end of the year. He had like fringe top 15 classes for 23 and 24. He got the number 15 player in the country in 23. He has two top 100 commits already in 24. It feels like they're getting some momentum, right? Things were not good uh, before he got there. They lost eight games in each of the two years before he got hired. Listen, do I think that they're going to compete for the SEC title this year? No. Do I think that they could show real progress that could make them a threat in the couple of years to come? I do. Um, and and you got to gain momentum. It's not going to happen overnight. So you get a Nick Harbour in 23. You get multiple top 100s in 24. And it starts to happen. I'm not going to accuse them of starting to recruit like Alabama or Georgia. But momentum is going in South Carolina's direction. And I think you have to back it up on the field. And they have Spencer Rattler back this year. You know, he's not going to be there when they, when and if they reach the heights in the SEC that, that they want to. But there's an opportunity to continue momentum in the program. And I think that's why I'm excited to, to see them on the field. I don't need his press conference clips or his dancing. I, he bugs the shit out of me, but he's got some momentum in his program. So I, I think it's interesting where they're going. Brian, do you think that bringing in Spencer Rattler has been a net positive for the program? Because I'm undecided. I, I don't know. I'm undecided. Yeah, I think that's why that's why this year is the year, right? Like at the beginning of last year, net negative, hard. And then they – I can't remember if it was Clemson or Tennessee. One of the games they won, they scored 60-plus points. And he lit it all the way up. And he looked like the guy he was supposed to be. Um, so – I'm I'm in I'm excited to watch Spencer Rattler play more football this year and and see if he can do it with more consistency because he like was a laughing stock early on in the year and then for them to win those games it was it was very unexpected on my end which is why I, they kind of piqued my interest uh, heading into the new year preseason Bill Connolly has them in his post spring SP plus ratings at number thirty three overall. 20th in offense, 64th in defense. So based on those metrics, it's going to be the offense that's going to really need to carry them. I think that's a fantastic pick and a team that is going to be really interesting to watch in the in that mid-tier of the SEC because there's so many teams right now that are trying to separate from that middle of the pack and catch Georgia. We'd spent an entire show last week talking about teams who could build the next great dynasty. I don't think South Carolina's on that list. But what would a realistic ceiling for them be with Shane Beamer? What would be, what would be like a crowning accomplishment for Shane Beamer? Do you think, Ben? Do you think it's winning the SEC East one time? Now that that it will go away at some point here in the near future, is it actually winning a conference title? What does he need to do for everybody to say Shane Beamer was an unmitigated success at South Carolina? Oof, I mean that's a that's a tough putt right there, you know. Almost as tough as uh, the two putt that Wyndham Clark had yesterday to win the U.S. Open, but I mean, winning the SEC title like maybe once, you like it's hard. I mean, they're just so loaded. I think it's just consistently being a 
double digit win team and consistently going to high level bowls and, you know, maybe year in and like one year, every couple of years fighting for a title. I think expecting them to actually win an SEC or go to the SEC championship, maybe just a little far fetched um, for to have that level of expectation just because of how loaded that conference is. But I mean, Spencer Rattler, I mean, Maybe he just gets some more momentum and that helps on the recruiting scene and he keeps going. I mean, South Carolina is a fun place to be, sort of. Um, so you can maybe recruit on that end. But uh, yeah. You I'm, really said, I hope they don't hire you to recruit. A ringing yeah. South Carolina, for Columbia. A fun place to be, maybe. Because midway through, I remembered that's in Columbia and not in an actual fun part of South Carolina. So I had to pivot mid sentence. I think it's probably fun to go to school there. Uh, yeah, not I, mean, I could think of, said, I would rather I go to probably. South Carolina than Illinois. So, you know, Beamer has that over Bedima. And those are the those are the two <laughs> options. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's not slander Champagne here, Ben. This podcast, first episode of this podcast was recorded in Chicago, Illinois. This is a pro Big Ten podcast, a pro state of Illinois podcast. So let's not slander the fighting Illini and Champaign-Urbana, buddy. Sorry, sorry. Sorry for the disrespect. Yeah, you should be. Okay, Ben, uh, have you given your answer on this? I can't even remember at this point. We've gotten a little far afield here. Which coach are you most interested in watching in 2023? Uh, I mean, the coach I'm most excited to watch is actually Sarkeesian, just to see if Texas is actually back. Um but before, I would be very First time missed. ever said on any Remiss. college football oh, yeah. talk show, podcast, TV show, is Texas back? New is stuff. Texas it's back. good. New stuff. I mean, you're not a real podcast unless you actually say it. I mean, you don't have to agree with it, but it's got to be a category of your, you know, your arguments. But I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about the hilarious person in this whole list of the third-year coaches, and it's just Butch Jones who was given at the time like very poor reviews of his hiring and he has only made the program worse they actually had winning records until he showed up and they're now basically just losing they're like four and six and very bad um yeah but back excited least excited to watch arkansas state um never want to be named butch so that's his fault um but yeah, Sarkeesian to see whether, you know, what their last year in the Big 12 go on a high note, get to a playoff. I can see it happening. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. I, I, to segue into the, the, the last question we have is who, who most needs a good year. And, and I jumped all over Sark for this one. So we can, we can have the conversation here because I think that that's fair for that exact reason. Ben, like, Texas coaches, you know, Tom Herman got four years, right? This, so this is year three and how many are Charlie things get? in a Charlie got four uh, or three. I feel like it was too I short, he, but yeah, three or four. I, I don't have it in front of me. The, the point is I think in, in high major football, especially with the transfer portal, where it is, especially with their program going into the SEC expectations are that you have shown market improvement in the first three years, which is why I really like this topic because you don't get four and five years for a rebuild anymore. And and honestly, maybe you shouldn't at a place like Texas, at least showing that things are moving in the right direction. Now, what does moving in the right direction look like, I guess, is debatable, right? 
I think Sark has a little leeway. He got Arch Manning, right? He's not going to be the starting quarterback this year, uh, at least not off the jump. Um, so you would think maybe he has a year or two. But, man, headed into the SEC, if they don't feel like they have some momentum and they think that they have a guy, right, like you could definitely see it happening. Tom Herman went 7-6. and six. He went 10-4. and four which I believe was the we're back uh, and then eight and five, seven and three and fired. Right. And so like you, you have to be, you have to produce at Texas. You have to produce, you don't get three years of seven and eight wins and say it's coming, it's coming, which is why I think he's, he's on the list of most needing the good year. What I've heard so much this off season about Quinn yours, Quinn yours, Quinn yours, we see him at the top of a lot of these Heisman odds uh, on the betting sites. What is it, when I think about Quinn Ewers, this is what I think about from his season last year. He had a really nice first half against Alabama, and then I think about some of those games, like the Oklahoma State game is one that comes to mind, where I feel like this guy can't complete a pass. I, there's a lot of talk that he was injured, that he was hiding an injury. Okay, that only carries so much weight with me. I, what what is out there that should make me think he's going to be able to improve enough to become a Heisman-level quarterback? Because from what I saw with my own eyes last year, I don't see that at all. Yeah, I don't think it's anything on tape. I, I think that it is still right. Like, he's pretty raw, and they're hoping that they can improve him and that Sark has improved quarterbacks. I don't – I'm certainly not arguing that that's going to be the case. I think – that also kind of factors into my answer, which is their preseason top 10, top 15, everywhere you look. And so that is, those are some lofty expectations to back up, especially when kind of what you're saying is the case. Now they return a, a lot of playmakers. They added A.D. Mitchell. They return a, a lot of the offensive line. Do I think that they are a reasonable pick as the Big 12 favorite? Sure. I think it's just a balanced toss-up style of league, which is why it's reasonable to me to pick Texas to win 10 regular season games, and it is reasonable to me to pick Texas to win six regular season games and kind of anything in between and maybe even four or five. So he's got to end up on the on the upper end of that um, if, if he wants to get kind of that leash and he's going to be banking on Quinn Ewers. So I think, right. Your, your point is well taken uh, and well made. We're going to have to wait and see. Cause he really thinks that they they've got something there. It's funny, Stephen, that you mentioned the Oklahoma state game as he looked terrible because one, it's a very interesting stat line. It's the only game he threw for over 300 yards besides the shootout in Washington for the bowl game, which I feel like you just kind of throw out the window sometimes. But he also threw 30 incompletions out of 49 passes. So it was clearly feast or famine in that game. And like to complete under 40% of your passes is just like, how? That like that that requires a lot of work to do that. Yeah, and if I remember correctly, that was the game where they just said, we're not going to feed B. John Robinson and Roshan Johnson, two of the most dynamic threats in college football. They, that, that never made a whole lot of sense to me. Good I don't job, know, Sark. man. I I hate guys to do this, and I hate to go this route, 
But this truly is a situation to me where I need Texas to prove on the field that they can handle going to Ames, Iowa. And I don't know the schedule this year. I do know they, or I believe they go to Ames, although that it's not a, a full round robin anymore. They, they, they hosted Iowa State last year, but they need to show me they can go to Ames in the it's middle in of October. Okay, so go to Ames and win a 10-9 game, survive a 10-9 game. Go to Manhattan, Kansas, or have Kansas State come to you and and play a physical game and and come out on top. Texas, to me, I know they've recruited a lot better along the lines. There is still this toughness that seems to be missing with this program where I think if they get hit in the mouth, if a Dave Aranda Baylor team, Dave Aranda known for having physical teams, hits them in the mouth, I don't know how they're going to respond. And I really need Texas to show me that they can respond. I know that's a little bit like aggro football guy. Got to get hit in the mouth and show me what you got. But I, I really do feel that way with Texas because it's been 10, 15, 20 years of stacking the recruiting rankings and the stars and the receivers and these big name quarterbacks. But when Texas gets hit in the mouth, it doesn't seem like they're able to respond. And in, and so I'm with you, Brian. It's a huge year for them just to be able to show that when they are a favorite, when they have to play those style of games, that they can respond. Because college football is all about how do you make your bad performances hurt as little as possible? Every team has bad games. Every team has bad performances. But what has happened to Texas for the better part of the last 20 years is that their bad performances end up in losses to the Kansases of the world, the Iowa States of the world, the Baylors of the world. And that's not really fair to Baylor to put them in the same category as Kansas. But you get what I'm saying, right? It's it's the mid to bottom of the Big 12 isn't scared of Texas. This is not like Alabama or Georgia in the SEC where the rest of this conference sees those helmets coming onto the field and they have a reason to be scared. I feel like other programs in the Big 12, they see that Texas burnt orange come onto the field and they're licking their lips. They know it's an opportunity. It's It's a big name, a program that everybody talks about, a program that's a lot more full of themselves than they deserve to be. And they know if we play our game and we punch them in the mouth, well, they're not going to respond. So I, I couldn't agree more. Huge year for them and a huge year to show that you can get hit in the mouth. You can respond. You can go win those grinded out games in Ames. Yeah, yeah you mentioned at Ames, but at TCU, at Houston, at Baylor, like at I don't think anybody here – yeah, but in conference, like I, I don't yeah, think that they're – Yeah, but don't get blown yeah, out Alabama, second game of the season. I mean, sure. you're going to get I popped in the totally chops right there. Stephen Watson but even those, like, those, those Big 12 games, like I don't think anybody here thinks it's realistic to expect Texas to go 4-0 and or even 3-1 and in those four road games that we mentioned. So I think it's a great point, Stephen. Who do you have on this question? I have it as Boise State and Andy Avalos because there was a, a point in time last season when it looked like Andy Avalos might not make it through the year. They started off the year absolutely horrifically. I believe they talk, took a loss to, to UTEP at some point early in the season. I know their starting quarterback, Hank Bachmeyer, who had been around there forever, transferred out. 
in the middle of the year. And, you know, that was actually the best thing to ever happen to them because the the guy that came in, Taylor Green, ended up having a really nice year. They look like he looks like he could be one of the better rushing threats at quarterback in college football. I expect them to have a really good rushing game this year. But at a, on a broader level, Andy Avalos is now, I believe, the third head coach since uh, Chris Peter, I'm sorry, the second head coach since Chris Peterson left. So it went Chris Peterson, Brian Harson, and then Andy Avalos. They stayed inside the family there with Avalos. He went seven and five in his first year. They got off to that really rough start last year. They finished 10 and four. So they finish on a strong note. But guys, it's been a long time since Boise was the Boise that we think about. The last time they finished in the AP top 10 was 2011. And that's when Chris Peterson was there. And, you know, you look at the broader context of college football right now at that year, I believe that was the year that Utah transitioned from the mountain West to the PAC 12 uh, Boise was in the, was in the whack at the time, but Boise and Utah, those were contemporaries back in 2010, essentially. Uh, I don't think you would find anybody who would say Boise wasn't the better, more prestigious, more winning program at that time than Utah. And you look at those two programs now, Utah's now in the Pac-12. Utah wins Pac-12 championships basically on a year-in, year-out basis. And Boise's struggling. Boise's trying to get back to where they were. And I think... Boise is very close to slipping away from being Boise. You, you can't have these down cycles and continue to be the team that is the, you know, that that G5 power, that mid-major power, however you want to phrase it. There are teams like Utah, like TCU, uh, that have like Cincinnati that have now not only passed them, but have actually moved into power conferences themselves. So I think both for Avalos to kind of continue his run here at Boise State, but also for Boise as a program, this is a pivotal year because with the 12-team playoff upcoming, you want to put yourself in a position where Boise maybe can be that team that takes that sixth automatic bid every year. So I think this is monster for them. I'm... Really, so the way that I bet Boise 50 different ways against Oregon State in last season's opener, and and I, I'm still not over it. Like the way that they started last season, it was, I mean, you, you laid it out perfectly. The way they went undefeated in conference, it's unbelievable. I, I, I have nothing to add. I think that it's a wonderful point that you made, only that if you don't think I've had my eyes on Washington minus 16 in the season opener – for a while now, you're absolutely wrong. And I'm going to overcorrect because that's a lot of points. Um, and people are high on the Huskies, I know. But uh, that's that's where I'm leaning on that one. But I think it's a totally fair point. I think it's a fair point because yeah, – and you, you got into it, right? When you think about all the realignment that's happening, I know we're going to – hopefully if we have time, quickly dab on realignment. But with all of it that's happening and the, and the way that the, the G5 is still constructed – like there are programs that should be able to capitalize on that. And Boise is one that you would absolutely think, at least people of our age, I feel like, would think they should should not have a problem being the highest rated G5 conference champion with some sort of fair regularity. Um, and this is a huge year towards that. So I think you made a great point. All right, Ben, how about you? Who do you got? Who do you have your eye on for this year? Uh, like I mentioned, it's just it's Texas, Texas, Texas. Can't go away from it, as I uh, stated. So 
it's going to keep an eye on them. Going to make sure that they uh, are talked about at length and nauseatingly enough. Um, you know, hook them. All right. So Texas is the coach, the team you are most interested in and the one that most needs a good year. I got you. Yeah. You're doubling I mean, down on the horns. Big yeah, it, Texas it's podcast. It's T and orange here. all the way. All my answers today are T for Tennessee and T for Texas. Big Texas show right here. One guy that we did not touch on specifically, but I, I would like to really quickly is Gus Malzahn at UCF. I think they could use a big year because, uh, you know, they've been decent. I think they won nine games last year, but when they hired Gus Malzahn, I had a vision in my head of them immediately running the American kind of getting back to that supposed national championship year, if you will, that they claimed uh, when was that the Scott was Scott Frost there then yes, sir. Uh, that, that's kind of what I Last had in year. my mind when Gus Malzahn took that job, nine losses over the course of two seasons wasn't exactly that. And I think they, they could really use a big year as a, now are in the Big 12. You, you got to establish yourself early, early in that conference. So that that's definitely a school I have my eye on. Um, I'm not sure quite yet what to make of them. I wish I had a better take as far as what I can expect out of them. But I, I expected them. I, I really truly expected him to kind of be more dominant in the American immediately. And I know they've had some injury issues down there, but they, they haven't been dominant. That's for sure. You didn't have them getting blown out by Duke in a bowl game in his second year? That wasn't on your bingo card? Yeah, sure didn't. I also love (laughs) how you just don't accept injury as an excuse. You said multiple times. Like, it's just funny. Like, no, I don't care. You got injured. Next man up. Do it. It's great. As a coach, that's how you should be. I mean, are we talking football? Are we talking tiddlywinks here, Ben? What is tiddlywinks? That's not a real thing. Yeah, exactly. Talking football. As, as Jeff Brom said back in his XFL playing days, do I or do I not have a pulse? Let's play some football. I mean, injury, it's a huge part of the sport. Injuries happen, but the best programs and the best teams build enough depth where it doesn't crater an entire season. And that's why Georgia is Georgia right now. That's why Alabama is Alabama right now. I don't mean to be callous about it, but it's just the fact of the matter. It's a, it's a dangerous sport. Injuries are going to happen. You got to build that depth. So, yeah. you know, I, I I bet if you are a UCF fan, I bet you would have really preferred to have two 10 and two seasons, you know, exiting the AAC going into the big 12, than a, a nine and four and a nine and five season. I, I think it just feels different. It feels like not that there's no momentum, but it, this is not quite the same UCF program that they were back with with Scott Frost and Josh Heupel. Now I'm not convinced that they don't have a better coach now than either one of those coaches. I think he he might be. I I think it's maybe without a doubt he's a better coach than Scott Frost, given what happened there at Nebraska. But there was a lot of hype. There was a lot of hype when Scott Frost was turning that program around, and uh, it, it's not quite the same. So I think they need a big year. God, what a total letdown to have Scott Frost go from winning a national championship to the homecoming and then them just absolutely poop in the bed for the last couple of years. It's it's pretty enjoyable it's to tough. watch as a train wreck. It's like one of those things that you just can't not pay attention to, but it's great. That's, that's why this this topic's great. We should do this every offseason because like everybody's up on that rule right now and he's recruiting hard. 
And is he like first off season Scott Frost had this similar hype. Let's see what happens. Right. Well, two years from now in the off season, we'll talk about Matt rule. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that's exactly why I wanted to look back at this and uh, we'll see what these coaches have in store for the year ahead. And uh, I think it's a great thing to do every year. I like looking back. I like seeing it, what we thought at the time and now what we think. And I think year three heading into year three is the right time to do it. Well, let's stay on the topic of coaches, but transition to the world of college basketball because a longtime mainstay in the world of college basketball, West Virginia head coach Bob Huggins will no longer be a part of that sport. Bob Huggins has resigned following a, a DUI uh, over the weekend. He, Huggins, of course, has had a quite a month to six weeks here, went on the radio, um, dropped a gay slur, um, made derogatory comments about uh, Catholics, um, and then goes out and gets a DUI over the weekend. I believe in, in Pittsburgh is where that happened. And uh, Huggins yep. will resign or has resigned from West Virginia, resigned and retired. And I don't really have too much to say about Huggins. that hasn't already been said here. So I will kind of, kind of want to keep things on the court here, guys, because this is a fairly big job that is now open. So in the Big 12, we've seen a lot of success with going out and getting people who have Big 12 experience. Jerome Tang at Kansas State is one of the first people that comes to my mind. Uh, former Scott Drew assistant at Baylor. Ben pretty much credited all of Baylor's success to Jerome Tang just a week ago. Brian swiftly dismissed that. We came to the conclusion that Jerome Tang, big part. Not all of Baylor's success. My question for you guys tonight is, you know, West Virginia is a unique Big 12 program. It's not in the state of Texas. It's not in the state of Oklahoma. Brian, does it make more sense? Or Ben, does it make more sense? I think we just lost Brian here momentarily. Does it make more sense for West Virginia to go out and try to maybe find somebody with Big 12 roots or hire somebody with West Virginia roots? Because the two are very different things. Oh, for sure. And it's hard because like I still in my mind can't wrap my head around the fact that they're not in the Big East. Like that's just what I think of. And, you know, obviously my mind's still there when I pick trivia questions of 2000s basketball. Um, so I just feel like West Virginia is that unique school and it is better to go more so in the West Virginia realm. I mean, Bob Huggins, I couldn't think of anyone else who more embodies West Virginia think of Kevin Pitsnoggle like clearly that guy belongs at West Virginia when he was starring in like the mid 2000s I think they're just a unique school and do things their own way and have done their things the own way in the Big 12 that you go and get someone that you think's a good West Virginia fit um it's kind of funny I was looking this up and did you see who Dick Vitale is campaigning for that West Virginia should hire oh no who Tom Crean and I can't imagine Tom Green there. I just feel like, though, I mean, his anger may fit in um, and grumpiness, but it's just kind of funny to think of him at West Virginia. Yeah, I don't necessarily have a name on my radar either, but I kind of like the idea. The Big 12 is trying to build itself as this big basketball conference, the number one basketball conference. They've been the number one basketball conference, and 
I don't know. I just think West Virginia is in such a tough spot geographically in that league that it might make sense to go and get somebody who has Texas ties, who can pull. Texas is a, is a talent rich. We don't talk about it nearly as much as we do in football, but Texas is a talent rich basketball state. I think it might actually make more sense for West Virginia to lean into that than try to recruit from the Northeast because I, I just don't think in this, if when they were in the Big East, I don't think you're getting a ton of guys from New Jersey, New York, Maryland, uh, some of the prep schools in New England to go to West Virginia and play in the Big 12. However, I do think you have a good chance to pull guys out of Dallas and Houston who might go to West Virginia and play in the Big 12. So I, I don't have a name in mind specifically. I think that's the interesting question here. And I think I would actually lean towards somebody with Big 12 ties rather than necessarily West Virginia ties. Brian's back with us here. Brian, just kind of talking about what kind of coach West Virginia might want to go and target. My argument here is they might be better served going and targeting somebody like Jerome Tang, who had ties to the conference, uh, than they would be staying within the West Virginia family or even getting somebody who's kind of more from that Ohio-Pittsburgh area. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I don't have names either, except for one, which is it, it's sort of it's a little clickbaity. But I actually think like this is a name that hasn't come up in a while. And I think it would make sense here, which is John Beeline, if he was willing to accept your phone call. Like I, I usually err on the side of, uh, you know. Uh, an up-and-comer, an exciting name, but this is a guy who's experienced in Morgantown, has had success in Morgantown, might provide a little bit of stability at a time that they could use some stability, and also just is a respected name right right from the jump. So I think like from a checking the boxes category, everything you said makes total sense, and Everything I said kind of goes outside of that, but it would be an interesting one uh, if he's willing. I think he has said before, like it would have to take a really, really special place, special role to get me back. He's in his seventies. So I don't even know at this point if he's interested, it would be a fascinating thing if he went back there. I think that's a really good name. And I think if they did stay in the family, so to speak, that's the kind of person that might be a really good fit for them. So I have a question. Yeah. So the one thing, this is just going to be a, you know, a dive into how my mind works. Every time I think of West Virginia basketball, my favorite memory is Buzz Williams uh, dancing on their court to take me home country road. Um, and that's like when I kept thinking of coaches, I was like, oh, it'd be hilarious to see Buzz then go coach them. But Texas A&M is a better program than West Virginia basketball rise, right? right? It's a really good question. I think at this point, I you'd rather be the coach at Texas A&M due to the monetary advantage that you have from being an SEC True. school, the investment they put into basketball. But I don't think it's any stretch at all to say that West Virginia has a much stronger history than Texas yeah. A&M. That's why I was like, at first, my instinct was like, oh, West Virginia is better. But then it's like, but Texas A&M is now in the SEC, and that's a whole lot of money football-wise, better things for everyone. But... I mean, he's not going anywhere. He's from Texas, so I'm assuming he's going to say at Texas A&M. But, and the fact that he trolled them so hard that one time is just so glorious. But that's just my little rant. 
Yeah, it's a, I know, it's a interesting thought. He's not going to go there for sure, but I always like a glimpse into the way that the 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 brain of our one and only Ben Crowley, the golden yeah, leg, as he I don't know if you guys noticed, sometimes the thinks. shine is a little bright from this little champion bling. Uh, this is going to be hanging up over there every uh, every week because I doubt you guys are going to grasp it from my hands. So uh, yeah, I just keep yeah, noticing. Week one should be a champion. Oh yeah, look at that shine down there. It's great. Week one trivia champion Ben Crowley, shining bright. He is going to be our first episode on YouTube. Ben wanted to show up in a big way, make it visually appealing for the people. We appreciate that, Ben. We appreciate everything you do for this show. But uh, I can't wait till that is no longer, no longer in your background, no longer around your neck. I do feel like you're going to wear it even if you lose this week, though. Uh, you'll have to pry it from me. Like, even if one of you win, you'll have to forcibly take it from me. I'm not going to just hand it to you. Um, you're going to have to ask for it and then ask for it again, probably. Yeah, I, I figured as much. I figured as much. All right, well, we got trivia coming up in just a minute here. I do, guys, really quickly want to hit on some some realignment talk because the big news over the last week is that San Diego State has told the Mountain West Conference it intends to leave the league, but it also asked for a one-month extension. Nothing has officially been communicated, so it seems. And basically, this thing seems like a whole mess. Uh, it seems like San Diego State will be leaving the Mountain West. The question is just, where are they going to go? The obvious answer seems like the Pac-12, but for whatever reason, and I haven't done all my research into this, admittedly, it looks like the uh, the Aztecs will not become a member of the Pac-12 until their TV deal is done, which at this rate seems like it may never happen. So just another whole mess in the world of conference realignment. San Diego State, another program not named Boise State, potentially moving on to a Power 5 league. And uh, Big 12 also has been mentioned with them as well, but it seems like the Pac-12 is really the the league where there's the most smoke. Um, my question for you guys is is this: If San Diego State moves up, now we've seen Cincinnati, UCF, Houston, BYU, San Diego State all moving to the Power Five. Before that, Utah and TCU did the same. And in this new world of the 12 team playoff, there is gonna be a Group of Five conference champion that makes the playoff every year. Who is best positioned to take advantage of that? Is it Boise? Is it Memphis? Is there somebody else? Is it somebody in the Sun Belt? Is there an obvious candidate to you, Brian, who can really take advantage of this six automatic bid uh, from the G5 right now if San Diego State moves up? Yeah, I, I, I almost want to give the AAC as a, as a conference instead of picking a program. Like I mentioned earlier, Boise, like from – you know, when I was uh, in my early college football watching years, that would just seem to make sense. But recent history suggests that won't be the case. I think if a coach can turn an AAC team into a perennial contender that isn't going to go to the Power Five, I think that's the, the, the answer to your question. That's sort of the sweet spot. And I wonder if perennial success in the AAC does mean realignment. And, and it's sort of uh, a question that, that crumbles on itself or an answer that crumbles on itself as I, as I start to make it. So uh, it's tough. I, I mean, I guess I'll go with, I, I think Boise does have the history if they can get back on track. Like you said, this is a big year. Um, they, they already always seem to play a power five opponent in non-con or two every single year. And, and, 
I think if they're able to obviously win that, that's huge for their their playoff standing. So, yeah, I don't know. It's it's tough. It, it's tough. I think it's just funny to to go back to your point about realignment. Like now we're getting to the point where people are realigning without a home to realign to. Uh, it's just it's it's out of hand to be honest. Can I give you a name here that I really like? It's yeah. SMU. Damn it! It's actually who ben, I was going to. Ben's pick. on the same same page as me here, but I think SMU's really well positioned because they are a team that I feel like has resources at a level above a lot of these other power five schools. They really like football. They're committed to football. It's part of their culture. And again, I'll say resources again, because that's the name of the game these days. And they've had some recent success. I mean, if Sonny Dykes was still there, are you kidding me? That would be a goldmine. Obviously he's moved on. He's at TCU. He's got bigger and better things on his mind. They're now led by Rhett Lashley as their head coach. But I think, Losing some of that competition uh, in Cincinnati, UCF, uh, I think that's going to really benefit SMU, and I think they're a team I, I'm going to keep my eye out for. Ben, did I miss anything there as far as the logic goes? No, and like it, it, my logic also kind of goes in the fact that I don't, because Brian's thing is what I thought too is like it's someone if you have continued success, you're probably going to want to get that step up to get more resources to go to a Power Five. But SMU doesn't need that. So they can just stay and try and become that perennial G5 team that's in the conversation to get to the playoff every year. They don't need that monetary move to go to a Big 12, go to whatever. Um, So I kind of combined both of your answers together. And then you have Ben's best answer. And don't get me wrong. If the Big 12 came calling, which I don't think it has any reason to, they would go. They probably yeah. want nothing more than to be a part I, of the Big 12, just like Houston wants to be a part, wanted to be a part of the Big 12. Um, but I, I don't necessarily see that happening. But you're right. They, they have resources on their own. So I, I like SMU for that reason. Uh, there's a couple other schools out there, but they're the, really the one that, that jumps out to me. Anybody else we miss, Brian, besides Boise and SMU? No, I think SMU is a great call out, a great call. I mean, they're, they're, attacking the transfer portal really, really well. And I think that they're taking advantage of the fact that they are in a position to consistently make the playoff. I mean, they, who, they got Jordan Hudson from TCU. I think they got a few other power five. They got uh, an offensive lineman from a power five. I can't, I can't remember, but they are recruiting as though they're a power five school. So I think that's a, that's a great, a great call out. All right, let's get to what everybody's been waiting for. And that's our weekly trivia challenge. Ben, one and oh all time our week one champion got a chain made up he's very proud of it he's very excited he got to pick the category for this week which is uh early aughts college basketball so 2000 to 2010 college basketball we've been told there are some convoluted trivia questions coming our way from mr crowley so buckle up for that in the first round steven versus brian in the first round to kick things off and then face our defending champion ben hopefully snatch that chain right off his neck ben without further ado i'll throw it to you all right yeah so hopefully one of you two wins in two questions because the third one's got a winding path to it so just win in one um question number one is going to be a dual question you both will give answers um and then the same time right uh maybe um but we're all betting men here so the question is 
from Hold 2000. Hold on. Before you get to your question, we, we got to know the format. We had a very clear format last week. You told me before the show you're steamrolling my format, but you don't even have yeah, something to replace it with. Tell us what we got. It's mostly for the second one. Uh, so it's basically you. whoever gets the answer first is the first question. So if you want to put in so your answer. jump in if you think you know Jump it. in when you feel confident, or okay. you can kind of do prices right rules where you're like, oh, you know. I, I think it's higher than that. Um, so we'll see. But question number one, there will be a tiebreaker. You can both guess the same answer, I guess, if you really want to be knowing about it. Uh, then we're all who betting would men. win that? There's a tiebreaker. I have a tiebreaker. If you let me finish my question. So national championships, 2000, 2010. There's 11 of them. How many favorites covered the spread? Ooh. Seven. Okay, so is it so prices right rules? <laughs> I guess yeah, we'll do prices right rules. Zero. <laughs> Steven wins. Eight covered. Wow. So, nicely done. Yeah, it was a lot of by landslide too. The only one that only only two favorites have lost, um, and the only one favor won and didn't cover, which was Duke against Butler in that one game. Okay, good job. All right, now second best question. job to you, Ben, of all of everyone. <laughs> Steven, this one's good easier. job to you. Too. Okay, <laughs> because this is going to be who am I? Uh, you get one guess per clue, but it's whoever guesses first. So you can Just try and yell guess it out. before it you out. hear the first okay. and the clue. But only one guess per clue. And you're going to get it eventually. So there's no way I go through this whole list and you guys don't get it. Otherwise, you guys okay. didn't watch college basketball. One guess for every single clue you get. One guess for every single clue. Okay. All right. First clue. Had a total of 504 rebounds his best year, which was the most by any Division One player since Larry Bird had 505 in 1978 in, through 1979. Omeka Okafor. Incorrect. Jake Voskel. Incorrect. He's a little early for that. Um, had 30-30 double-doubles in that same season, which was one short of tying the NCAA double record by David Robinson. Tyler Hansborough. Incorrect. Oscar Tshibwe? No, sorry. We're 2000 to 2010. <laughs> And both of my oh. guesses have been outside of that decade. <laughs> I, I've, I don't know, guys. I, this, I think this one will help narrow down. First player in Big 12 history, we've got a conference now, to record back-to-back games of at least 20 points and 20 rebounds. Drew Gooden. Good guess, but no. I'm going to go outside the decade again. I was, I was going to say Blake Griffin. That's not. Hey, you got it. It is Blake Griffin in 2009. Brian wins. Now we have to go to the last question, damn it. Yeah. Sorry. You seem very upset by this, Steven. Yes. Terrible format. With, no, wrong advanced, with, that format? with no advanced warning. <laughs> no advanced warning. Yeah. Sorry. Well, I thought it was pretty good. You guys at least had some questions and we got closer and closer to it. All right. Uh, this is going to be a closest to um, you guys will have. There will be four rounds. So it's the best. <laughs> four it's rounds. 
Yeah. Yep, yep. Okay, I'm gonna delay this even <laughs> further because last week I'm gonna take everybody behind the curtain here. Sent a bunch of texts, bunch of emails on how I was gonna do this to make sure we kept it short and sweet for everybody. You didn't waste a lot of time. Ben's going four round bonus tiebreakers it's in the first quick. round here. Proceed, it's very quick. sir. It's multiple choice. All right. So since Stephen won the first question, he gets the first guess. There's a group of players. You get to guess, when you guess first, who has the most career points. All right? Group one, Steven gets first pick. Kevin Durant, Jordan Williams, Hashim Tabit. Hashim Tabit. And you're correct. So you've won that one. Uh, Kevin Durant had more points in one season than Jordan Williams had in two. So it's kind of funny. All right. Second group. Brian, you get to go first. Sean May, Blake Griffin, Joakim Noah. Sean May. Steven? So I got it wrong? So you're saying that was wrong? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Okay. (laughs) Uh... No, it's Noah Griffin or not Sean May. Sean May. Is that... Who's incorrect. Who has a retrospective? Probably should have waited. Yeah. Um, not a lot of suspense. Well, who? Okay, this is tough because Noah was not the biggest scorer. I think he was only there three years. Yep. Griffin only played. Did he play two? Either two. two or I think he was. That's there why for I did two. this format. Yeah, I think he was there for two. Uh, but Noah was a better scorer in college than he was in the NBA. I think people might not realize that. So I'll go Noah. Blake Griffin by over a hundred and sixty points. All right, uh, but Brian's closer. So Brian really underrating. Had more points Blake than Joe Griffin's. Noah. Uh... Yeah, he was a stud. Apparently, uh, so it all comes down to this. Uh. Sort of. Um, Maybe you should make it all come down to this. <laughs> all right. Uh, there what if are... we each get one of all the right, next right, two? Right. Then what happens? So what's going to – I have a tiebreaker, actually. Um, <laughs> to the tiebreaker. <laughs> so we'll do this. Here's the tiebreaker. You First guess. So I'm going to name five people. The f- You get to guess after uh, – same, same thing. But first person after my, I name all five names gets the person – so Hakeem blurted Warwick, out. Nick Collison. It's a blurted out thing. As What's the finish, question? Yes. Same style. <laughs> most career points. Oh, my gosh. Okay. All right. Hakeem Warwick, David West, Luke Herringody, Nick Collison, Sheldon Williams. David West. <sighs> All right. Now you can take your time. Okay. All right. Can I? Can I'm not I get a tell repeat? you if he won? He maybe won. What? It is Hakeem Warwick. If he David won, West. if I, if I won, move tell, on. tell me. No, you didn't win. Okay. <laughs> okay, sorry. David West, Luke Herringody. Yep. Nick Collison, Sheldon Williams, and Hakeem Warwick. Nick Collison. Steven wins by default because David West had the second most. Luke Herringody tore up the NCAA with over 300 oh, more points than David West. 
I'm 0 for 2 in the first round. Congratulations, <laughs> Stephen. Mostly for surviving and making good. it through that. I don't even yeah, feel good yeah. about winning, Brian. I don't even All like right. feel right. gross. Okay, we're gonna put some reins on you next <laughs> week, Ben. Because I mean, hey, you gotta let me have my week. You gotta have to have to let me week. Gotta have the week. I, I don't know what was un I don't know what was unclear about what we did last week that made you feel empowered to go and do that. Because well, I want someone to get the right answer versus us just guessing the wrong answer all the time and not ever getting the right answer. Okay. All right. Here we go. We, I have last week's format. Also, I wasn't sure if I was supposed to stick to early aughts college basketball or not. So I have some questions. We're just going to get into it. At least I stuck with the format. Here we go. First question. This Who's goes to first? Ben... First, as the defending champion, this is a guest question from my wife. You may be able to tell based on its contents. In the 2008 season, Penn State football was undefeated and ranked third in the country into November. They went on the road and lost on November 8th, their first of the season. Who was that loss to? I like how we didn't stick within the category that I picked, but um, okay. You guys, you guys uh, really all had trouble this week, it <laughs> seems. Well, maybe it was just the guest I had. The second question wasn't. is in the category because I thought that might be the case, so don't worry. Okay, okay. Uh, I am going to say Iowa. It's correct. I don't know. I don't know what to say. I wish guess. it wasn't. I wish it guess. wasn't. I wish it wasn't. I feel like there's a stretch of Iowa just ruining everyone's season in like the yeah, late Penn 2000s. State specifically. I feel like they they beat undefeated Penn State at Kinnick like three or four times. Uh, that was a good. That was a good job. Thanks, right, Ann. Thanks, thanks, Ann. Just <laughs> handing Ben another title. Great, great, great. A lot feeling a lot of pressure. My head's All not right. in a good space. Steven. Uh, nobody in college basketball has more total career rebounds than Kenneth Fareed. You may remember him. The Denver Nuggets. Well, okay. I went outside the, the years by one. The Denver Nuggets took him 22nd overall in 2011. Out of what school? Ugh. I don't think this is right, but did he go to Moorhead state? He did go to Moorhead state. Wow. wow. All right. Because I had wow. no recollection. He's, he's a guy. Do you know that sometimes there's guys that are like, there are NFL guys in your mind or NBA guys in your mind and the other guys that are college guys. He's a guy that I had no record. I, I didn't know anything about in college. Yeah, I knew yeah, him yeah. as an NBA guy. So I feel like it's like I don't have a memory of that Moorhead State jersey, but I yeah. heard that he went That's there. That's a good pull. All right. Good pull by you. Good pull, good pull by you. Uh, okay, so on to the numbers game. So we're finally going to wrap this up. Who's going to be our champ? Uh, everybody gets a guess. We'll let Ben, defending champ, guess first. This is not Price is Right rules. This is how many raw off are you? Nobody's made more three-pointers in a career since 1986, at least the website that I had had since 1986, than Detroit Mercy's Antoine Davis. Right, He just finished his college career this year. How many career three-pointers did Antoine Davis make? Make. Ben. Yep, he has the most made three-pointers in a career in okay. that span. 
Sorry, I'm thinking a little bit. Um, did he go five years or four years? Did he get that I'm fifth not year? Answering any questions? I think he did. Um, I'm gonna say five hundred and three. Five zero three. Yeah. Steven. Four seventy one. It happened again. It's never uh, leaving, baby. The correct answer is 588. Oh, wow. wow. Really? Ben, he did play five yeah. years, by the way. He ben. did play five you're years. Lucky yes. that you, you're lucky that you've, you got that. No, I'm just being well, bitter. I, Ben's our smartest, be fair, best trivia player. Ben I'm more just than a bitter guy. I did it incorrectly in my head because I gave four and a half years. But really, that one college basketball season was almost a full year. So that was poor math in my head. Because I tried to do 120 a year was the thought in my head. Oh, man. Well, guys, Congrats, that's our show. Ben, 2-0. and He's our champion. That's great. Uh, we leave you with a... Uh, better format next week, all right? We leave you with a heavy heart once again tonight <laughs> as Ben takes down the championship. <laughs> Uh, for Ben Crowley, Brian Kaufman, Stephen Gorgie, it's Tailgate till May. Until next time, keep the girl hot in the cooler cold. <laughs>